Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, June 22nd. Sometimes on the show, I use the term pregnant people to include the experiences of those who get pregnant but do not consider themselves to be women or mothers. I use both. I say pregnant women. Sometimes I say pregnant people. Yet nearly every time I say pregnant people, someone out there listening calls, tweets, or texts to criticize using that term at all. While sensationalized imagery of pregnant masculine people isn't uncommon, we rarely hear in depth about the experience of carrying a child while not identifying with womanhood. These individuals and these families exist, but judging from the responses we get whenever my language reflects their existence, it's clear that their stories aren't told enough, their experiences aren't widely understood, and their existence is often questioned. So let's take this opportunity to shine a spotlight on gestational parents who are not women by not just talking about them, but talking to one. So joining me now is Chris Malcolm Belk, he, him. He's the author of The Natural Mother of the Child, A Memoir of Non-Binary Parenthood. And in his book, he documents his experience of being pregnant while not existing in the gender binary and of eventually becoming a father who gave birth to his son, Samson. And now he shares the story with us. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you so much for having me today. Gestational parent. That's a term that I learned from your book. It's what you call yourself as opposed to a mother. Why is it important to you to separate yourself from motherhood despite carrying and birthing your child? Well, you know, in in my family in particular, my children have a mother and it's not me. Um, I am partnered to a cis woman, Anna, who gave birth to two of our children. And She's their mother. I um, have only, you know, I've I've attended four births in my life, and they were the births of my four children. And I saw her become a mother in the kind of, you know, traditional way of birthing her children twice. And her experience of doing that was just very different from mine. I I didn't really feel like the experiences of motherhood that she had had and that my mother had had and her mother and all of the mothers in my life, I felt like there was something just slightly different about the experience that I had because in giving birth, I was not becoming a mother, I was becoming a dad. Um, So there isn't really a a term for that. Um, Gestational fatherhood is one that some people use, but I use gestational parenthood just to make it as all encompassing as I can, because I have had now multiple experiences of kind of where my gender was pinpointed, if there's a spectrum or, um, you know, a, a, a more three dimensional version of a spectrum, I, I've been in different places. And I think gestational parenthood is the easiest way to describe it. I wish that there was a sleeker term, but there there just isn't. So when talking about your experience of your gender during pregnancy, In the book, you write that nothing about being pregnant made you feel feminine. Why was this the case? And what do you mean by feminine in that context? 
I think because my major experience like with pregnancy had been watching my partner carry our first child soon before I, I had Samson, she really saw it as like a very gender affirming thing. And I think felt like welcomed into a community of women because people were always approaching her to talk about how exciting it was. And she's a nurse. So when she would go to work, everybody would be commenting on it and asking her how far along she was and all of that kind of stuff. And I do feel like she had this kind of communal experience of pregnancy that when I was pregnant, it was really not like that. I think people were a little afraid to engage with me over it. Um, and I wasn't really being like particularly welcomed into a community because there's not really a script for doing that. Um, I had worried that because she had the experience she had that I would feel very much like what was happening to my body was like becoming more womanly and I didn't I experienced I think a lot of cis women can probably relate to pregnancy as almost like an alien takeover experience versus mm -hmm. something that has to do with other aspects of humanity and I was just very much like focused on feeling strange bodily sensations that I'd never felt and feeling like I was a little bit outside myself but it didn't particularly have a gendered component to it in the way that I was worried it would what did have a gendered component for me and I think what ended up being a really big motivator for me personally to engage with medical transition was how I felt after having the baby the postpartum period in particular and um, breastfeeding also were two things that made me really feel kind of like gender dysphoria in a way that I hadn't before those were the things that made me feel more like, wow, I, I think I really need to take steps to kind of masculinize my experience of embodiment after giving birth. Yeah, that was an interesting part of your book that you where you detail how you breastfed your son for two years, despite the feelings of gender dysphoria toward your chest um, that you document in the memoir. Can you explain that a little more to people who may not understand what that is or feels like did breastfeeding alter your feelings toward your body definitely for me breastfeeding significantly altered my experience of having breasts in general i mean like you know i am a trans guy or a trans masculine person i kind of use different terms it's all really interchangeable to me honestly but i um I have small breasts and I'd always been an athlete. So wearing a sports bra around town, it, it just wasn't really a huge impact on my life. But after giving birth, um, my breasts became significantly larger and I started just kind of feeling them there in a way that I, I feel like I, I don't, you know, I don't notice that I have wrists or that I have kneecaps. Like these, there are parts of the body that I just, I use them, but I don't really recognize that they're there. And when you're breastfeeding, you're kind of, on tap all the time my demand to eat at any at, at any time in any place and i really felt my breasts like they would fill with milk and they would tingle when the baby would feed like i just kind of had all of these bodily sensations that made me recognize them and then have an aversion to having them in a way that maybe hadn't been as intense for me before like i think if you had given me a yes or no option to opt into them as a teenager, I would have said, no, thank you. I would rather not have them. But mm -hmm. they didn't have a huge impact on my life until breastfeeding. So you couldn't dissociate or disassociate um, breastfeeding from womanhood, if I'm hearing you right. You couldn't sort of, you couldn't breastfeed 
your child, but in a non-woman identified way? Am I gathering that right? It's not re- for me personally, it's not really about like an ephemeral sense of gender or an internalized sense of gender so much as it is like, now I have these big boobs and I can't wear a binder so everyone can see that I have them and there's no outfit that could ha- hide them. Mm-hmm. And also I'm taking all my kids to the park and the baby might get hungry so that I'm going to have to breastfeed the baby and then clearly everyone's going to see what's going on. It's more of like a a public awareness that people are looking at me, which then makes me think about them more, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, pregnancy is historically strongly associated with womanhood, which is probably why we always receive questions or criticism when I say pregnant people instead of pregnant women. Uh, As I said earlier, I use them kind of interchangeably, and I'll say one one time and another another time. I don't want to lock the term pregnant women out. Uh, But I think some people respond negatively to pregnant people for different reasons. Uh, Some because they're just anti-trans, you know, whether it's for religious reasons or just hate toward people who they otherwise, they, they can't stand hearing pregnant people because they hate trans. For some people, they see it as a marginalization of women when women have been so discriminated against over time in the patriarchy, and they don't want pregnant women to fall out of the language when still 99% or something like that of pregnant people are pregnant women. Um, do, is, how do you relate to that conversation when you hear it? It's a really difficult conversation for me to wrap my mind around, I think, because I... Um, you know, a, a lot of my life is very family focused for the last couple of years, just because I have all these children and domestic life is at the forefront of my mind. And my partner is a labor and delivery nurse who is extremely um, sympathetic and also active about the needs of women, healthcare needs of women. That's like the, the passion that caused her to go into this field. And I've found that affirming providers and other people who are interested in providing full spectrum health care, including abortion care, fertility care, et cetera. They, you know, the health and safety of women is the center of their life. And they're just trying to make a little bit of space for folks who might need that care who aren't women. And there is nothing about their comportment or practice that has any interest in all in erasing women or motherhood. In fact, you know, they're trying to preserve the lives and safety of women as much as possible. So I feel a little confused about the conversation just because people, you know, will, uh, it's mostly on the internet that I see people saying, well, why are you trying to erase my experience of motherhood? And I'm like, nobody who, who says pregnant people wants to erase your experience of motherhood at all. They're really dedicating their lives to making motherhood a possibility for you and a safe possibility for you. So I, I feel a little alienated from it. I think it's it's hard to understand why it's important to make space for what is ultimately a pretty small number of people. But I think it's important to remember that trans people seeking any kind of healthcare are, are going to be marginalized, both because providers don't understand our needs, but also because it's difficult to 
you know, for a lot of people to get past the dysphoria of doing something like going for a pap smear. So seeing that inclusive language will actually help more people access the care that will make the most people safe and healthy. Um, but I just think that you can do both, that you can, you know, I'm all about like policies that will benefit moms because at the end of the day, moms are the people who suffer because there's not like affordable healthcare and childcare. Mm -hmm. And you can also make space for people like me to feel comfortable going to the doctor's office. Tiffany in Manhattan, you're on WNYC. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, good morning, Brian. It's awesome. My first time actually uh, being uh, calling your show, so I'm happy I was able to get through. Um, I have a simple question, and, and your, your guest is amazing and has really enlightened me in a lot of ways. Here's my question. Um, from my understanding, um, you are presenting or you are a man, um, he and him pronouns, and I totally get that. And so I'm just wondering, help me think through this. Um, as you've decided to live life as a man, which is great, what was the first impetus for you to want to become pregnant? And in my mind's eye, I'm a, I'm a cis woman, so in my mind's eye, that's a very womanly thing, A, to do, and also just physically speaking, walking around with a pregnant belly just so to me speaks woman. So I'm just wondering sort of the initial decision for you to say, I, I'm, a, I'm a man, I want to be a man, however, I do want to take this pregnancy journey. Um, and very respectfully submit it, just trying to sort of think through it myself. And I'll, I'm done, that's it. <laughs> Tiff, Tiffany, thank you. Call us again. Chris? Thanks, Tiffany. I think a lot, a lot of folks might have this question, and I, I do think that in a lot of relationships where uh, there's a possibility that the trans person wouldn't carry the baby, that's what folks opt into, right? So um, in a family like mine, the cis woman might carry all, all the babies. Um, and, you know, a trans person might be more likely to carry babies if their partner is a trans woman or a cis man or, you know, someone who can't carry the baby for them. But for me, um, it was really a practical decision the first time. So to give listeners just a little more information, I've, I've carried two pregnancies. I um, gave birth to my son, Samson, who I wrote about in the book, and he's about to turn 10 years old. And then mm -hmm. I also have a seven month old at home who I gave birth to as well, um, our fourth and very much final baby. So 10 years ago, Anna and I, my partner Anna and I really wanted to have children close together. And I think that at that time in, in my early mid twenties, I hadn't really figured out my gender enough to, to know that, that it was a strange thing to do or a different thing to do. I was kind of just like, she did it and now I got to do it. Cause like we, you know, that's the, the easiest way to have children close in age and it's a sharing of labor and all of those kinds of things. And um, a lot of the thoughts that I had about it that went into the book came after when I, I finally did the thinking about it when Samson was about five years old. <laughs> I was like, hey, wait a minute, I need to think about this experience. But then going into a second pregnancy, um, you know, many years after taking testosterone and presenting as, as a man in public, I made the decision for a lot of reasons. And one of them was that we decided we want another another child. And I do think that if I can share in the physical labor of having a baby, which lasts a lot longer than, the, you know, nine to 10 months of pregnancy, but is really about like the recovery period, mm -hmm. the breastfeeding period, it's 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 really a total body experience that can take up to two years. And my partner was at a point in her career where she just didn't want to do that, but she, but we wanted to have another baby. So it was practical. Again, I also was interested in um, 
the way that I've experienced, you know, I listened to your segment on gender euphoria, Brian, and Mm -hmm. I had had so many experiences of gender euphoria in the years since starting hormones. Um, I was on testosterone for five years before getting pregnant. And I just felt embodied in a way that I never had before, where I didn't have to make any decisions about like the direction my body was going. And I just was like, it's, it's, it's a great body. And I'm just living Hmm. my regular life. I wanted to know what it would be like to have the experience of pregnancy at a time when I did feel a little less like disassociated and unsure about my body. Um, so, you know, you don't have a baby cause like you want to be pregnant and, and, and go on this like vanity project at all. Like we were very invested in having a fourth child, but for many reasons, it just felt like the right thing for me to do. And it has been a really empowering and affirming experience more. So I think since I've, transition than it was before before when I was presenting in a very androgynous way and providers and people in the community were like unsure about what was happening this time I was just like clearly a pregnant guy and I'm lucky to live in a part of Philadelphia where it just wasn't it wasn't an issue um but because I don't think pregnancy makes me feel womanly at all it's it's it it that wasn't really a concern for me and I think if I lived in an area of the country where I thought I would get negative attention, like my when my family lived in, you know, Upper Michigan, for example, I might not have done this. I just kind of knew that I would be safe and taken care of. So it, you know, it made sense for us. That's amazing that you live in a place, the, whatever part of Philadelphia that is, where presenting as a pregnant man explicitly. Um, is not a thing, you know, that drew a lot of reactions because I could only imagine that people would look at you weird if they were strangers or you would get nasty comments here and there from bigots. Uh, But you're saying you were able to insulate yourself from that a lot. Yeah, I'm very privileged in a lot of ways. You know, I'm a white guy and we're middle class, but I really think the community we live in is another way in which I've been really lucky about my experiences. I actually had this time around, um, I had a trans midwife deliver my baby. So even the healthcare that I got was just very affirming and positive. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think it's like a lot of, you know, a lot of parenting, regardless of gender or what the issue is, is, you know, you might not agree with what people are doing, or you might think that it's strange, but it's, it's best for my parenting if I kind of like stay out of other people's decision making, as long as it's not unsafe, you know, so mm-hmm. I... I think a lot of folks in my community, Philadelphia is known as being a pretty rude city, but I think at the end of the day, people were focused on what they, they were doing and kind of like, all right, well, this guy's doing what he's doing, but that's not really affecting anyone in a negative way. So it's fine. One more call. Shelly in Westport. You're on WNYC. Hi, Shelly. Thank you for taking the call a long time. And okay. So, when a young couple or an old couple announces to us so excitedly, they go, Mom, Dad, we're pregnant, and we're always so happy, and isn't it wonderful? Because we, kn- we know whether it's a pregnancy or other life-changing situation, it is the couple that's involved. But we'd never criticize our son and daughter-in-law for saying we're pregnant. So how come when it's coming from the other side, talking about pregnant people, some people are choosing to get into such a huff about it? How silly. I mean, when there are medical restrictions, I would like to believe people who are about to become parents understand 
that it's only the one with the fetus in the body that needs to restrict the wine amount. But maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea if, if both pregnant <laughs> people <laughs> restricted their wine amount as a preparation for parenthood, you know? So I, good luck. Everybody should just live and love and be healthy and let every baby be wanted and born healthy. And congratulations on your struggle, your growth, and the example you're willing to set for other people to be true to themselves and the people they care about. That's so sweet, Shelley. Thank you very much. Anything you want to say briefly yeah. to her, Chris? No, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And I do feel like it's been a really big gift in my life that I've gotten, you know, I have this very, very full family Um and I have gotten to kind of be on both sides, which I think not uh, not a lot of people get to kind of be the supportive partner um, or not as supportive as they want to be. Like that was something that I, I learned in my experience that the first time around when we had our first that maybe I hadn't been the best support person to my partner. Once I was on the other side and hmm. had a baby, I, I realized things that I that I could have done better. So I do think that it has given me a perspective that not a lot of people get to have. And for that reason, I'm just very, I'm very grateful to be trans. I, I feel like without being, you know, if I was a cis guy, I wouldn't have the the life that I've had and I wouldn't have these experiences. So thank you. So maybe that answers the final question I was going to ask you, because you said you listened to our earlier segment on what gives people gender euphoria. And I was going to ask, what about you? What gives you gender euphoria? Oh, for me, it's, it's, it's a lot of like external, you know, stuff that you kind of like do to the outer portions of the body or stuff that you put on the body. So um, although I'm a very kind of square person, a little bit of a nerd, a little bit of a video game nerd, and I teach creative writing for a living. So I'm, I'm very nerdy, um, but I have lots of piercings and tattoos and um, you know, I love getting a good haircut at the barber. That's like an experience I wrote about in, in my book, kind of when you find a gender affirming barber who's going to give you a great haircut. Those are the things that really do it for me. Um, clothing, mm -hmm. jewelry. Um, so I think in that way, I'm similar to really a lot of cis people because that's how cis people affirm their gender and what they wear and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, that, that's really it for me. Chris Malcolm Belk, author of The Natural Mother of the Child, A Memoir of Non-Binary Parenthood. Thank you for being so open with us and with our callers, and happy Pride. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.